All right. Uh, all right, Marky, on the hotline today, we have uh, a sports figure. He is a sports announcer for NBC Sports coverage of the NHL, as well as Notre Dame Fighting Irish. You can see him on Sunday Night Football. Liam McHugh, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Liam comes from us. He obviously works for NBC Sports, but Liam connections with Buffalo is he went to UB. What a good year for UB. Yeah. Horns Not bad, huh? Not bad. It's uh, it's almost unimaginable from when I was there. I think when I was a senior in college, I think they won like five basketball games. Um, and the football team, I'm not sure. Football team had just moved to the MAC, and they were uh, not really a good double-A football team and then went single-A, so we were pretty abysmal. Uh, and this, this basketball team's uh, electric. Uh, I don't care what happened against Marquette. It was like watching Steph Curry play in the second half against them. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to throw that game out. Uh, but uh, a win at the Carrier Dome, nationally ranked, a team that looks like even if they don't win their conference tournament, can still get into the tournament. Uh, uh, it's strange. I, I have friends texting me, calling me all the time, who like, you know, uh, who basically never went to a basketball game in four years at Buffalo because the, the team was so bad and they had no interest. And now all they do is wait for Buffalo to be on TV. So that's pretty cool. Football team going to a bowl game again is pretty cool. So uh, not a bad year. And then, hey, pro sports, the Sabres are back. The Sabres are back, Liam. And this is exciting in Buffalo. We've had some tough times the last couple of years. Just from sitting on the panel of NHL on NBC, how did it look from that end that, we're, that we were tanking, or how, how does that? How was that viewed from? I I don't know. I mean, listen. I I think it was at one point it was it was sort of you know it was sad because I think Buffalo is such a great sports town, such a great hockey town that it was like, hey, listen, this team deserves a winner, deserves a good team. Um, and then obviously the year with Eichel and McDavid, it looked like, hey, it's in many ways like you know you're not a good team. It's sort of a race to the bottom. And it was like, all right, Buffalo can't win a game. And then they couldn't win the lottery. And it was like, oh, God, they can't win anything. So, uh, <laughs> but I think there was also this feeling. And, you know, we worked with Bob McKenzie, who's uh, like the great TSN insider. And he kept reminding me, he's like, listen, he's like, if this was any other year in the last decade, Jack Eichel would be the number one pick. He's like, and it's hands down, it would be an easy choice. He's like, so, you know, People need to be a little patient. I know it's tough in Buffalo because they want to win. Uh, but it looks like, you know, that patience has paid off. They got the number one pick last year again. That being said, I didn't think they'd be this good. I no. really didn't. I, I, you know, I know it's hockey. I know teams can improve dramatically from year and uh, from one year to the next. But I did not think they'd be this good, especially when you consider how good their division is. So, I'm surprised. I'm happily surprised because uh, Buffalo is a tremendous market for hockey. Uh, even when you guys are bad, you kept watching. Yeah, I, I it's amazing, is, isn't it? Which is not something we experience around the country. Um, How so, does NBC view us as like, oh, my God, Buffalo, they, they don't stop watching. It's huge for us. I mean, and, and that's the thing where I think we were almost as desperate as you guys were to have a winner. Because it's like, well, can you imagine if this team – makes a run, makes the playoffs, uh, the amount of people that would tune in on a you know, night-in-night-out basis, because we know that you guys will tune in to watch your team, and especially if you're in the playoffs, you'll tune in to see what will happen in the other games, which I don't know that we get with every other market. And uh, we all, you guys also do us a favor by putting uh, the hometown boy number 88 always on, and yeah, that's cool. Yeah. 
yeah, we uh, we, we, it would be nice if that team had, had a little bit better season. But uh, uh, it's great still watching him, and it's I mean he's magic on the ice. But uh, but that team right now, uh, yeah, Chicago, L.A., Philadelphia. There's some there's some big big cities that are are not getting it done. But uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic have Buffalo back, and the truth is just for me personally because they're a team I like watching. Um, you know. Uh, because I went to school there, I've always had some interest. And my last year of school uh, was 99 when you oh, went yes. to the Stanley Cup final. So I clearly uh, I'm invested one way or the other. Uh, and, and there's a little bit of emotional investment there uh, as so well. Was that, so was that a goal or no goal? What's your take on it? Oh, my God. Well, listen, we basically change the, uh, the rule and people, you know, people when people basically tell you they're refusing to come out of a locker room uh, to play overtime. So. Uh, so you got to change something in, on the fly. It, it just felt so like it felt so Buffalo, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it telling like, us. Uh, yeah, it really did. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what am I going to say? So uh, at this point, it, it, it's it's part of Sabers and Buffalo sports history. But in the end, you would hope that would make a championship that much sweeter, and hopefully that happens. So we always talk about this: people who choose to be Buffalo fans. You chose us in a way. How did you choose to come to Buffalo at UB? All right. So uh, I played soccer at Buffalo for a few years, and I was kind of late in the recruiting process. I was someone who was not really recruited until my senior year. So everything was happening really quickly, and I was still making my decision in the spring of my senior year. And I remember coming up to visit Buffalo, and it was a weekend that in Buffalo would traditionally be rather cold. And I got up there and it was like sunny, 60 degrees. Campus was jumping. Place was, you know, people were like outside in shorts. Uh, they had a spring game that year, uh, Buffalo soccer. Uh, during that weekend, everyone was outside having fun. And I'm like, this place is awesome. I'm like, it's like this. And, you know, of course, people recruiting me are like, yeah, it's like this all the time. <laughs> like, you got to come up. I'm like, oh, fantastic. So I uh, decided I'm, I'm going to Buffalo. I'm going to play soccer there. It was never like that for four years. For four years, it was un- just horribly cold. During my, I think it was my senior, junior or senior year, I remember the National Guard had to come in to remove snow from areas because there was just too much of it. So uh, it was a tremendous recruiting tactic by the people at Buffalo to somehow change the weather pattern for that particular weekend. So, uh, and but listen, I, I, it's college and I had a great time. I loved it. What can I say? So, uh, do you follow the Max Soccer? Because Akron, I think, had a nice run. They made it to the finals this year to the college uh, championship. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of like it's bittersweet, obviously, because Buffalo no longer plays soccer. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, it's a shame. I mean, I, I I loved my time. I only played two years, but I loved my time there. Uh, I, I did follow it. I don't follow it really anymore because they don't have a team. But uh, when I was there. And this is what was cool. Uh, I arrived as a freshman a few years before that. Buffalo hosted something called the World University Games. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, so they wound up getting a lot of recruiting out of that. So when I arrived on campus, like there were kids from Nigeria on the team, a uh, kid from Australia, a few Canadian kids, kid from Europe. Um, so you know, I had a really different first year experience, I think, than most Buffalo students who like, you know, the furthest you're. Uh, I'm from Long Island, so the, you know, if you're meeting kids from Buffalo, that was like someone you're meeting from far away. I got to meet people from all over the world, friends from friends with kids from all over the world. But 
the other thing was I arrive and there are guys who are from those countries who are like 22 years old, who are like full grown men. We're sitting there at the first meeting for soccer. NCAA compliance comes in and they're talking to us about like rules and regulations. And I'm like, all right, so here's a form. Everyone has to sign it. And then they say, is Liam McHugh here? I'm all the way in the back and freshman raise my hand. They're like, Hey, uh, you're 17. Your parents need to sign your permission. (laughs) And I just saw all these heads turn around. Like who is like this kid that's on the team? Like, Oh God. So that was my introduction. I mean, going to UB, you have to hustle off campus. Any jobs that you did in the Buffalo area or where was your favorite watering hole while you're at UB? Uh, well, I I interned uh, with Buffalo Bison. Um, so I, I interned downtown baseball team. Um, did that for a semester, uh, it, which was, you know, interesting, too, because it's like uh, you're watching them the first week of the season, you know, try to get games in. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Like something you just don't realize about Buffalo. It's like, oh, it's like, you know, it's the spring. You're supposed to be playing baseball and. You know, there's snow in the forecast. So uh, outside of that, uh, you know, I lived on campus for my first couple of years, lived off campus, uh, you know, closer to downtown, uh, closer to South Campus. My final two years, I don't know, man, I, I hung out where everybody hung out, you know, <laughs> steer, uh, you know, and I think like most kids in college, I'm like, hey, you know, where can I make the most of this $20? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, what place can I go to where like $20 will keep me here for the longest? Should have and... South Buffalo. It goes a long yeah, way. Yeah. South Buffalo goes <laughs> a lot further. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, but it was awesome. I, I felt like everybody was kind of in the same boat there, you know? And, and I, I thought one of the cool things about Buffalo is that like, you know, it was like 3 34 in the morning and it wasn't like la- last call was just like stragglers. People were <laughs> packed into bars still at that point. And part of it was they didn't want to go home because they're having a good time. And a big part of it was like, it was freezing outside. You just didn't want to go outside. You're like, just keep me in here as long as I can. We don't quit. That's why we still watch hockey late into the season. <laughs> <laughs> so you go from uh, UB to Syracuse University. And prior to joining NBC, you worked mm-hmm. at Newsday, 99 to 2001. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, so that was my uh, first job out of college. I'd written for the uh, school newspaper at Buffalo, the, the Spectrum, for a couple of years. And I got out and uh, luckily got a job writing about high school sports uh, back on Long Island where I grew up. So, you know, I was four years removed from playing sports on Long Island and, you know, talking to reporters. And now I was back there doing it. And uh, it was great. It was hands-on experience, uh, you know, really trying to figure out what I wanted to do in journalism. And uh, I did that for a little bit, worked for ESPN magazine for a little at the same time uh, and uh, did some fact checking, researching there. And uh, I think, you know, I learned a few things. I learned a lot about journalism and I also learned that I probably wasn't going very far in print journalism. I was okay at it, but certainly not great. And uh, uh, you know, I just decided I was, you know, getting, I was about 24. I felt like it was time. I, I need to make a decision, make a move. And I went back to school and went to Syracuse, uh, did a year there of uh, grad school. And uh, it was fantastic. You know, it was uh, one of those things that like really, really prepares you for the industry. It's, it's you know, not a lot of theory. It's a lot of uh, hands-on learning. Uh, and you learn everything about broadcast journalism, uh, every facet of it, so that you're prepared for 
a you're basically prepared for any very low paying entry job anywhere in the country. And mine took me to Terre Haute, Indiana. So I went from working just about a year before that uh, on Long Island and in New York City to Terre Haute, Indiana. So it was a little bit of a culture shock. Uh, so you wore your uh, Larry Bird jersey there, right? <laughs> I was working right across the street, man. I was uh, I was at a station called WTHI. It's right across the street from Indiana State University. Uh, home of Larry Bird. And the basketball team was definitely not as good as it was when Larry Bird was there. But uh, I'll tell you what was awesome about that. Like, if you were Friday Night Lights in Texas, what you had was uh, Friday Night High School Basketball in Indiana. And the conference I got to cover had uh, Greg Oden in it, Mike Conley, uh, who, who they have, uh, Josh Gordon, Josh McRoberts. So I've seen these guys like week in, week out, guys who went on to play in the NBA who were like 16, 17 years old at the time. So uh, that was really cool. And you saw them in gyms that, you know, there, there were like 5,000 people watching high school basketball every Friday night. Uh, and it felt like life and death in Indiana. So uh, that was a really cool experience. Uh, and then from there, I went on to Oklahoma City, and it was a nice little step up, but that was a tremendous sports town. Um, Sam Bradford, Blake Griffin, uh, I was eight feet away from Mike Gundy during his I'm a man, I'm 40 rant. Oh, really? <laughs> which was incredible. I remember my, my uh, producers working the camera right in front of me. And this starts, just like turns away from the camera and kind of looks at me like, what is going on? Like, it's oh almost my. like uh, iconic, like Jim Mora playoffs, almost. Oh. They're like kind of in the same category. And I mean, that's like a major sound bite in the last 10 years. And you're there alive. It was, it was bizarre to watch something like, and then, you know, I, I'm calling the producers back at the station right after I'm like, Hey, I'm like, we got this huge thing. I was like, I don't think it's going to be for sports. I was like, I think it's gonna be the first thing you put on TV. And they're like, yeah, oh, we'll see it's sports. And we sent them video. They're like, what in God's name is this? <laughs> and, um, and the thing just blew up, but it was, you know, you mentioned the Jim Moore thing, but it was like Jim Moore, but it went on for like two and a half minutes, you know, <laughs> and that's the amazing part about this is just to sit there and like, there'd be like a brief pause and you're like, all right, it's over. He's moving on. Nope. And we keep going. So, and, and he did, uh, and the, you know, the weird thing is that people forget Oklahoma state won that game late in a shootout with Texas tech, a good team that featured Michael Crabtree that was ranked. And so none of that was expected. Everyone expected Gundy to come in there and be in like the best mood we've ever seen. It. So we were totally thrown off. Uh, but we should have known something was up when the first line of that whole entire rant was he holds the paper up and he says, this was brought to me by a mother. And he takes like a deep pause and he goes, a mother of children. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So. Did you know that your colleague that wrote it? I mean, is he sitting right there too? Yeah. Well, so Jenny Carlson of the Oklahoman wrote it. She, uh, I knew her. She was sitting right there. She was sitting front row, and uh, everybody knew, you know, what he was talking about. I, I think we knew that it was the type of column that people could get upset about, but I don't think anyone expected that type of reaction. So. While we thought maybe it would come up during the course of the press conference, I think there was a school of thought that because of the win and because of the way they won, which is 
I'm pretty sure Crabtree, who like never dropped a pass in college, dropped a pass in the end zone on the final play and Oklahoma State won, that maybe it would be something that was brought up at the end of the day. Uh, but not certainly the only thing that was brought up in the press conference. <laughs> so, so Liam, can how do you go about, like, when you know a story is going to be contra- controversial, I mean, how do you go about it? Like, do you get hesitant about it, or do you just go with it and kind of say what you believe? Yeah, I think for that one, it, it was pretty easy right away because uh, you got to let it speak for itself. Um, you know, we we went back to the station and uh, showed it to uh, the news director, a uh, couple of the senior producers and I'm like, Hey, listen, we're going to run this, you know, in its entirety in sports, you know, what do you want to do? So what they did at the beginning, they right away ran at the top of news uh, and they ran, you know, clips of it. But I think at that point, it's sort of like, you can let people make their own opinion. You know, you give them a general synopsis of what the story was that he was upset with. Here was his response. And then we had, you know, like we had, over a week of follow-ups on it because it went from that to like, obviously you want the response from the Oklahoman and the writer. Uh, then beyond that, uh, he was essentially trying to protect a player, a, uh, a quarterback who had been benched. And then we got responses from my quarterback. We got response. Uh, people in Texas who were reporting on it because that's where the kid was from, got responses from his mother. We ran that. So I think the idea was gathering as much information about it as he possibly can and then eventually it got to the point where uh, that kid transferred. We followed the story for probably like a year after because we it was such a big deal that, you know, anytime something moved with it, if uh, that quarterback transferred, where he landed at his next school, what he wanted to say about the coach at that point. Um, you know, it was important to keep following up on it. And I think, you know, for us, there are more controversial stories where you're just unsure about like, is this factually accurate? Is this correct? Is this, uh, are we getting both sides of it? This one was sort of, it was out there. Like he had spoken so much, you know, so at length about the whole thing that as long as we ran it and just, you know, let him say his piece and got the response from the people at the newspaper, I think we felt pretty good about it. Well, that that's kind of like a, a big break for you while you while you're in Oklahoma City. You're also writing for ESPN the magazine too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and at the time, what I was doing, I was freelancing and I was mostly covering college football. So, I was in a good place at a good time because, you know, Mike Gundy was really rising to prominence. That story made him obviously a national figure, uh, and I was right there. So, if they needed anything, they could come to me. Uh, which definitely got me some more work. And at the same time, obviously, Sam Bradford became a massive story. Um, you know, people forget Sam Bradford was a guy that was sort of, you know, he, he was not a big time recruit. He was a local recruit. No one really expected any of this from him. And that summer, uh, he was battling for a starting position. And the consensus was that uh, the young man who he was battling against was a bigger recruit and he would get the job, but Sam beat him out. And all of a sudden he was a Heisman candidate. So uh, what an agent that guy that has Sam Bradford deck. Oh, you see goodness. how much money that guy's made over the years. Well, and it's constant, right? I mean, it's like every year someone else like, yeah, you know, maybe I can get the most out of Sam Bradford. And, yeah. <laughs> but, but the problem is, and, and we saw this in college uh, while he was like an unbelievably accurate thrower. Sam Bradford is built like an endurance athlete, you know, 
he's thin. He looks like a runner. He doesn't look like a guy who's going to, you know, stand in there and take hit after hit after hit. And he hasn't been that guy. But yeah, hats off to his agent because, man, that guy's been getting paid and paid and paid. So uh, I don't know. He's done really, really well for himself. For a guy that was, you know, at one point thought to be nothing more than a backup in college, he's cleaned up. And you'll see him pop back up next year, too. He's well, that's cool. the NFL, isn't it? Yeah. Tom? I mean, let's face it. You guys have been in Buffalo. You you know all about this. Yeah, he'll I be mean, on the think... Bills training roster. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, unless you can get Nathan Peterman back. Oh, that poor guy. Yeah. I mean, he took it in stride, though. I, I mean, and he's still working. You might see him pop up. He's at the up. Raiders. Then. Yeah, he's in the yeah. Raiders system now. Yeah. yeah. He's, I think he's on their practice squad right now. Yeah. And you might see him pop up in the X, the new XFL or the Canadian League. I don't think we've heard the last of Nathan Peterman. I think in a couple of years he's going to pop back up and there's going to be this great story about him. That's just my well, listen, theory. It would be nice. I don't think he deserves – you know, he just becomes – he becomes one of these things where it's no longer about football. It's like he's just a person in culture who, like, yeah. you just associate with uh, – you know, basically bad news in sports, uh, you know, and so people pile on, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's his whole story. I think you're right. And I think the nice thing is, yeah, there are other opportunities. So who knows? I mean, this guy can work on his game, go somewhere else. It would be awesome if he came back and had success. How great would that be? Yeah. Oh, I know. So you're going from ESPN to magazine. All of a sudden you're, you're ended up on the old versus network and you're doing NHL coverage for NHL overtime and hockey central. Tell us how that, that happened for you, Liam. Yeah. So I, uh, I got this job at, uh, versus, uh, to host this, uh, this show called the daily line, which, uh, was on for about eight months and, I uh, never really found its footing. They kept changing the format over and over. And at the time, uh, you know, Comcast and NBC, uh, this merger was happening. So they were kind of looking for people that to try out and see if they wanted to keep when, you know, NBC Sports was. And they had this spot on versus uh, when the transition was happening, you know, to do NHL overtime, to do this post-game show. And, uh, I mean, to be very honest, at that point, I was a pretty casual hockey fan. I mean, I had clearly lived in a lot of places where hockey was not a big sport. You know, I mean, I would say in Oklahoma City, there's a good chance that we didn't even run highlights of the Stanley Cup final because really? a bigger story would have been anyone being recruited to any of the colleges. Wow. Um, it, you know, it's just the way it is there. Uh, Indiana obviously wasn't a big hockey town either. So for me, it had been years since I'd really followed the league uh, devoutly. So I got in there. Uh, but at the same time, my wife and I had moved to New York City. Um you know, we signed a lease on an apartment and all of a sudden it was like, hey, this is your show, Sink or Swim. And now it's like, wow, this is uh, this is real pressure. We have the lease. We're here. We got to make this happen. So it was like cramming for a test every night, trying to go in, trying to make sure that you don't screw up. Because, I mean, you guys know, if, you, if you're hockey fans, like hockey fans are, are devout. Like it's a cult following. And if you appear like you don't know what you're talking about or that you're trying to know what you're talking about when you clearly don't, which is even worse. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're going to spot it. And so, I mean, those first few months were rough, but I also, I mean, I worked with great guys. Uh, Keith Jones is about as good a teammate as anyone can ask for. And I think it was that way when he played. That's why so many guys liked him and uh, why he had success in the league. And I think it's definitely that way with broadcasting where, you know, if I had any question, 
uh, any concern about uh, anyone in the league, any pronunciation, which as any hockey fan knows, that's not easy, uh, especially new guys in the league who seem to actually change their pronunciations from year to year. Oh, yeah. Uh, we get that a lot is, here with, you know, with Rick Jenneret. We always say Jenneret says it the right way. Everybody else <laughs> yeah. is wrong. Yeah, well, that's like Doc, that's our Doc Emmerich. Right? Oh, like, yeah. We, we sit there and we're like, well, what did Doc say last game? Let's just go with that because I'm pretty sure Doc's got it right. So, uh, so to me, it was it was really one of those moments where like, you know, you're getting an opportunity, uh, work as hard as you possibly can, ask as many questions off the air as you possibly can, so that you don't look stupid on the air, and then uh, we just started running with it. But I think the nice thing was outside of just making sure that I knew the sport, knew the players, knew the coaches. Uh, I had a good rapport with the guys. Uh, you know, I have a really good rapport with uh, Jonesy with. Uh, Ronick and you know Mike Milver and I have uh, like a tremendous working relationship. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like Mike, or they just, or deep downside, they like to dislike Mike. Well, um, we were going to bring know, they, that. They, they want to watch, him. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they want to watch him. I do. I think they want to hear what he has to say. And I think for me, I like Mike a because I think he's uh, he's intelligent and curious, but also because I know that every show there's a measure of unpredictability that's going to make the show interesting for me. And I think for Mike, what was refreshing about uh, our relationship was that I, I wanted that. I encouraged that, you know, if Mike wanted to take the show off the rails, I was willing to go for the ride. Now there have been a few times where we've gone way off the rails uh-huh. and uh, it hasn't gone that well, but for the most part, when we can go slightly off the rails and I can hopefully steer it back on, I think it's made for good TV. Well, that happens to us every once in a while. How do you get back on track with a guy like Milbury? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, you, well, I think you have to challenge him. And I think he wants to be challenged. Uh, and I think you um, have to be willing to go right back at him, but not in like a, I, I don't think it's a yelling and screaming match because we've seen that between him and JR in the past. Oh, yeah. And all that, all that does on TV is you see two guys yelling and screaming, you can't hear either one of them. So, uh, but I think, you know, he responds to humor He responds to, you know, some of my sarcasm better than others. Uh, but I, I think if you encourage the curiosity and the intelligent, uh, you know, the intelligent criticism to come out in him, he can really deliver. And, uh, I don't know, I've been watching him this year and I, I think he's been on his game. And uh, I'm excited to actually get back in the booth and work with him. I don't know if he's excited to work with me because I think he's enjoying himself, but uh, I'm excited. To get well, just duck at the shoe. Yeah, just duck if he starts swinging his shoe. You know. <laughs> well, there is always like there is always the the slight. He's getting older, but there's still that slight threat of violence. So you got to be on your toes. Well, we're we're old Adams division here in Buffalo, so he's kind of like a Buffalo enemy here. He, he kind of gets mixed up with Claude Lemieux and uh, Cam Neely, but. Milbury, I don't know what it is. It's like he doesn't like Buffalo. We we know he's a good hockey guy. We know that here because we know good hockey people. But sometimes it's just that that stuff with uh, John uh, Scott the other a couple years yeah. ago. Man, he was hated here for a while, Liam. He was really hated here. No, I believe that. You know, and, and I can understand that. I know Mike. Mike have really strong opinions about all that, and. Um, you know, I would say I, I think that's 
more his opinion on John Scott his opinion on, on what happened with the all-star game. I, I don't necessarily think that was directed as much at Buffalo as it came across. Right. Um, but I would also say that like, yeah, I think Mike was, you know, had different opinions than all of our analysts on that. I mean, I think a lot of us really embrace the story, you know? Um, and, uh, Mike was stuck on that. He wasn't going to change on it. Uh, but at the same time, I think deep downside, Mike knows right now, like Buffalo being back, uh, and this team being a story and having, you know, legit all-star players, uh, is a really good thing for all of us. Yeah. It's good for business. Yeah. And I think, uh, listen, I think like a lot of hockey fans though, let's face it. You guys know, we did a lot of Buffalo Sabres games. We always do. You're in, you're out. And I think for Mike, I think there was a fatigue to like, ah, we got Buffalo on again. And, <laughs> and, and they're not, and they weren't that good. You know, it's, it's just tough. like, I want to, I want to watch something that's a little bit better product. And now I think it's like, Hey, Buffalo's good. Put them on. Let's watch this team. They're fun. They're exciting. How, how hard is it diff- like saying, I want this personal story compared to what the audience wants to see. I mean, how do you kind of like separate what you want to show and kind of tell the audience compared to what is a real story? I mean, how do you guys work on that? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's different uh, on every story. I mean, I, I think the big thing is for me and you know, we, we do a ton of shows with, uh, with hockey. I mean, I'm doing football now and it's, it, I can really feel the difference. You know, we do like 18 regular season. We, we do what 20 total games during the football season. Um, when we do hockey, I mean, you know, we'll do 20 in March. Um, you know, and a lot of them will be double headers. So it's tough to uh, meet and plan everything out sort of the way we are able to do it in football. I, I would say that, you know, these stories that come out, um, I want legitimate responses from the analysts. I want uh, their truthful responses. But at the same point, like you want them to be well thought out and you don't want them to be emotional responses, because I don't think that always comes off the way you want it to come off. Um, and I, I think we we've had that in the past. Sometimes the emotional responses are great, but there are times where they're they're not perfect and they're not the way you wanted them phrased. So I think you know the good thing about our our group is that we're always able to talk things out. I mean, we all get along off the air. So uh, the idea of running something by anyone else to see you know what do you think of this idea? How does it sound to you? Before you're on the air, uh, we're always able to do that with each other. So. And we have great producers. Mark, Mark Bellotti is our studio producer. Um, he was there versus he's been, you know, doing hockey for a very, very long time. He understands what works on TV. And um, I, I think the idea is, you know, if you can follow the rules, that basically we want real responses. We want honesty, but we want things to be intelligent and entertaining at the same time. And to be able to strike a balance, which is not always easy, but if that's the goal, that's probably a good start. Yeah. So, like, uh, bringing it back a little bit to Buffalo, like uh, the nights that you guys were on TV, we missed Generette, you know? Like, mm. like, and how do you guys vision uh, Generette as like a national guy? I mean, he's obviously Buffalo legend. Is he broadcast legend? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I think without a question. Like, I, I, I mean, you know, he's a name. I think anytime you can take a name and immediately it's synonymous with a sport, uh, you can throw in broadcast legend. 
um, because I, I don't think there are that many people that you can really say that about. But I believe that. I think all the analysts believe that as well. I mean, uh, you know, hockey's weird like that, though, too, where, you know, fan bases uh, love their people. They want to see them. Uh, so, you know, there's always this idea we're on TV and they're like, oh, I'd rather be watching my guy. And I get it. But I, I think the idea for us is we hope that, like, we bring something different. We're going to bring a different perspective a different take on things. Um, Freshen it up. But, hey, man, hey, I get it. Listen, I, I can tell you this. Listen, I'm a huge Mets fan, um, and I love the Mets broadcasters. Who is love it, them. Gary Thorne still? So, no, it's uh, Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, and Ron Darling. Oh, I love and, Ron Darling. He's great. And Darling is fantastic, and he's intelligent, and Keith Hernandez is a very smart baseball man who's also very weird at the same time. <laughs> and uh, and Gary is a guy who just has an encyclopedic knowledge of the sport and of the Mets. And I get it. Like, you know, I watch baseball and then I watch national broadcast. I'm like, oh, I miss my guys. You know, I really do. Like, it, you're used to them. But uh, I think at the same point, you know, we're clearly going to give you a lot more of the other team than you get on the local broadcast. And I think the idea is – Every now and then, it's good to have a fresh set of eyes and a, good, a different perspective on it. Well, you're kind of a UB legend, uh, <laughs> Liam. I mean, you look it up. You're one of the most, what is it, most recognizable guys yeah. from UB. Ronnie James Dio. And Ronnie James <laughs> Dio. You know uh, that, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that, that that probably speaks to the uh, the level of UB grad <laughs> more than to my status. Yeah, we should aim higher. I think at this point. I don't know Olympics. Like, how was that? That had to be insane. That's that's one of the best things to do. Uh, it's one of the it's one of the greatest parts about this job. It really is. Uh, I mean, it's hard because you're away. I mean, you know, I've I've little kids. Uh, I now have three little ones. At the time of, of the last Olympics, I had two, and my wife was pregnant. You're you know, in South Korea for a month, so that part's very difficult. But uh, it is the coolest thing to cover because. You know, you see these people who really do like they train and they toil and like complete anonymity. And, you know, once every four years they get their shot at glory. And if they're at a certain age, you know, this is it. Like yeah. four years from now, like the windows closed, like this is their moment. So, you know, there's this intense amount of pressure and there's this intense spotlight on someone who for the past four years hasn't had the spotlight on them at all. Um, so you get to live that. Um and then you get to bring them into the studio to interview them. And it's so great because they also know this is their moment. This is their time to get attention for them, for their sport. So they're, you know, they're willing participants in the interview process. They're not counting, <clears throat> counting the seconds until the whole thing's over. They want to be there. They want to tell you their story. And uh, that's what I love about it. I, I love having uh, the Olympians into the studio talking about everything uh, that they've gone through up to this point, uh, all the pressure they've dealt with, all the, you know, the people that they're trying to make proud back home because uh, you know, these are people who, you know, in many ways, it, it's funny, you know, you see people that basically become famous overnight and you're watching it happen right before you. I mean, it even happened in hockey with the NHL. I mean, yeah. you guys knew who TJ Oshie was. Oh yeah. But I think a lot of the world and certainly a lot of America did not know who TJ Oshie was. TJ Oshie was before the shootout against Russia in Sochi. That's a good point. What's your favorite and Olympic moment? Is that your, that you it. witnessed? Is that that it? is it, man. That is that is one hundred percent it. I was in that arena. Uh, they're playing Russia. Putin is in the building. Oh my god! Uh, 
these securities on high alert. It was it, it was a wild scene. And then just to watch TJ Oshie, a guy who people forget, like he barely made that team. He probably yeah. only made that team because of the rule in the shootout where you could use the same guy over and over. Oh, really? So, yeah, I think there's a, like there there are people who said like he was on the border and they knew that rule. They knew Oshie would be great at it. So that put him over. So he gets on the team. He gets his moment. And really to watch a guy go from like, hey, hockey people know who he is to now the entire world knows your name. Uh, in a matter of minutes, uh, nothing was cooler than that. Well, and the Buffalo connections just keep on coming because nothing, you start working next to Doug Flutie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who yeah, we've heard Flutie. is is a great guy. Talk a little about working with Doug Flutie, Liam. One of my favorite people in the world, really. Like, uh, tremendous guy. He, uh, you know, around uh, Notre Dame football, we call him Peter Pan because he's <laughs> still like, he really is, he's still like living this little boy life where Doug Flutie, <laughs> Doug Flutie, like, we're like, hey, we're all getting the car going over to uh, Notre Dame Stadium. Where's Doug? Uh, Doug was So he just decided he would walk over to the stadium. Okay. <laughs> all right. So we go. We get to the stadium. We're rehearsing. We're going through some segments. Uh, you know, Doug used to be an analyst with me before he did the game. So we would do the pregame, uh, go through the format. Uh, and then they're like, hey, we need Doug to rehearse this segment. Where is he? I don't know. He was here a second ago. Look around. Doug is in the middle of the football field, throwing the ball around with the players. So, in his suit, it's ninety degrees out, sweating through everything. I'm like, oh god, he runs back over. He's like, oh man, sorry, I was having too much fun. Uh, uh, do we have stuff to do? I'm like, yeah, we're on in like two minutes. Like, it's like, oh, all right, all right, this will be great. Like, he's so excited. Uh, you know, he's he's just he's a little kid, and uh, I love that about him. I mean, he come, he shows up. He showed up to a meeting that we had. I remember a production meeting. It was the day before the game. Uh, we had a new producer in. He was kind of, you know, going through everything meticulously. And but I could see like he was a little nervous because like, where's Doug? He hasn't showed up at this meeting yet. We got to get Doug in here. Doug suddenly shows up, runs in. He's in all sweats. He's sweating. He's like, sorry. Uh, you know, there was a pickup basketball game on campus. He's like, oh, uh, he's like, our team kept winning. So, man, you know, you can't leave the court. You got to keep going. You got to, you got to uh, keep playing. So that's so good uh, to hear. Yeah. It's so awesome. Um, and and I love it because you know, when I was in college, when I was senior in college, you know, Flutie, Flutie Flakes, the whole run. Oh, it was man. during yeah. that time, man. Yeah, and wow. like that city was captivated, right? I mean, uh, it was. I think he saved the franchise, Liam, because he sold all those luxury boxes. Oh, I, what? yeah. That's... I mean, really, we were in trouble, and he sold a lot of those boxes that are all packed today. But at first, it, it did. You know, we're blue collar. What do you mean luxury boxes? This is Buffalo. Yeah, and Flutie sold. Man, he's great. I I fucking love Doug Flutie. Sorry, he was he was captivating. Yeah. How could you not? You know what? Well, not to mention, like I we stand at these desks. You know, we don't have the seats. Uh, we stand at basically all our desks at NBC, which is good and bad because, like, you know, I'm standing next to professional athletes all the time. So people are like, "How little is Liam? Was he like five I'm like, "No, these are massive individuals." But I get to stand next to Doug Flutie. And we're eye to eye. Every once, <laughs> every once in a while, I got to remind myself: this guy played quarterback in the NFL. How yeah. could he do this? How is it possible? I mean, how how was it broadcasting at the Cathedral of Sports, so so to speak? I mean, you got a lot of Irish Catholics listening to this podcast. I mean, how was it broadcasting from Notre Dame? Uh, I uh, I love it. I mean, I I've covered college football for a very long time, um, and you know. 
in Oklahoma. I covered a lot of Big 12. Uh, at ES, you know, when I was freelance for ESPN Magazine, I did a lot of college football. So it's a sport that I absolutely love. There's nothing like being on campus for a game on Saturday. And Notre Dame is such a special place. And that stadium is uh, – it, it's great. I, I look forward to every fall just going there, nice fall day, uh, seeing that crowd – just that energy before each game uh it, there's it's so special and to be in notre dame stadium where the lower bowl is still intact you know from the original stadium and you see uh i don't know there's so much history so much tradition uh there's really there's nothing like it and then to have a season like they had this year uh was just spectacular so i, I love everything about it uh it, you know while the olympics is certainly one of the most unique and probably the best one of the best parts about the job for me personally uh you know college football's there's there's nothing like being on campus and specifically being in notre dame for college football saturday i I mean like you said that you've covered big 12 you've covered a lot of sports but how i mean how does notre dame recruit i mean in your view how is notre dame special recruiting compared to the big 12 acc sec i mean how do they make themselves special to get these kids on campus because i mean notre dame is obviously a difficult school academically i mean what what have you seen from your point of view being a broadcaster that they make themselves unique well, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, uh, I think they need to target people differently than schools in the Big 12 and the SEC. There's, you know, that's that's an easy start right there. There are certainly there are kids that they know they just can't get in academically um, that maybe other schools can. So uh, I think they have to limit themselves in, in that view. That being said, I think what they've done and what they've done a tremendous job about is they built up the facilities there. Um, while there is a lot of tradition and there is history, they've added to that, right? There's a uh, new turf field. There's a video field. Their training facilities now are state of the art. Their training table uh, is now state of the art. So they've added things that they didn't have in the past where I think, you know, maybe some big time recruits would come in and be like, yeah, I get it. It's all the history of the tradition, but you know, I want some, uh, I want some pop. I want some sizzle. I want some, you know, uh, I don't maybe need the Oregon Ducks in a different uniform like every five minutes, but I need something modern here. And they've added that. Uh, you really have. Yeah. And it's 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 been essential. I think, you know, because as as nice it is, as it is that Notre Dame and NBC have this great relationship and they're on national TV. The truth is, if you're a ranked team, as you know, you're on national TV every week anyway. You know, one way or the other, you're not on NBC, but you're on national TV. So that's not as much of a selling point as it was in the past. So they've done that, but what they've also done, and I think they've done a great job, is because they're targeting specific kids who they know uh, can come, you know, can make it at Notre Dame academically. They've really gotten student athletes to buy into the notion that if you don't make it in football, don't worry, graduate here, you're still set. You're really set because this is a place that gets you into uh, the workforce, gets you earning. And really, I think Notre Dame grads really look out for each other. And they've sold kids on that. And every kid that we've talked to over the past few years, they bring that up to us before we bring it up to them. You know, they buy into the whole concept of Notre Dame. So it's definitely a lot more modern than it was in the past. And the message that they want to send to their student athletes is really getting through. Yeah, and I mean, I think you made a good point. We have a lot of young uh, listeners, but I mean, you've been around college sports for 20 years almost. I mean, what what would you tell 
aspiring college athletes, whether it's D3, D2, D1, NAIA, I mean, with you being around it, what what advice would you give young students, so to speak, student athletes? What what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great question because, I mean, I even go back to like, you know, I played two years at Buffalo and while I had a great time at Buffalo, I was like a, a, a very much a fringe division one athlete. Um, I, I think if you love the sport and you love the game, um, you know, you want to go somewhere where you can play. And I understand that you want to go to the biggest and best school that you can go to. But, uh, I think the big thing is, you know, if your love is that game, you know, pick and choose appropriately, probably to your ability. I mean, you want to be out there on the field uh, on the court, it's, it's vital. And then at the same point you have to decide, and this was difficult for me. I mean, like I mentioned, I was 17 when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to study. So like very difficult to figure out exactly what you want to do academically. Um, but find a place, I think that's, you know, ideally academically suits you and socially suits you. It's more than just the sports. I mean, because I think if you're unhappy off the field or off the court, uh, all the success in the world on the field or on the court is not going to change that. And we've seen that. Like, I mean, you've seen athletes that were successful at schools and didn't seem to have a problem with the coaching staff and they still transfer. And you're like, why? Well, we got that going on right now with the UB quarterback. He, yep. he's exploring a transfer right now, maybe to Auburn. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a letdown because the season UB had this year, but uh, I kind of get it. You know, he's got to get yep. that draft stock up. It's a business. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, I think there's more opportunities for that now, certainly a lot more than, you know, 20 years ago when I started covering college football. I mean, it was a lot stricter about transferring. Uh, those rules have loosened, but I think they also loosen if you are up to par academically. Right. I mean, that's the big thing. Yeah, you know, right. if you can graduate in a certain amount of years, you have this, you know, now it's sort of like you have this free pass where it's like, Hey, find a school that fits you and you can finish up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the nice thing is I, there are more opportunities to, move around if things aren't working out. But I think there's also more information out there on each school, on each program before you get there so that you can hopefully know that it's the right spot for you. Um, and I, I think the, I really, I mean, the biggest advice for me is just to make sure that this is the right fit for you for all facets, not just athletically. So then the same question, what would be your advice for like someone who is getting into broadcasting? Because like uh, I always say with musicians, like staying in the same place is like the worst thing you can do. You got to go, you got to gain an audience, yep. you got to do things. So like you being a broadcaster, moving around, like you're saying, find your best fit. But what would be some advice to somebody who is getting a broadcaster, wanted to get into it like we are here, you know? Yeah, well, listen, there are more avenues now than when I started. I mean, because there, there's certainly a lot more digital avenues and a lot more. Uh, I mean, you guys are doing podcasts that didn't certainly didn't exist when I started. Um, so I think looking into all of those things um, and getting involved in, in any of those avenues is probably a good start. But for me, uh, it goes back, to, you know, if I can personalize it, I would say the one thing uh, which really echoes your just your sentiment just there is to get out of your comfort zone. Um, you may not want to take a job, you know, in a small town that you've never lived in before, you know, that you know nothing about, but you go there. And for me, I learned the job from top to bottom. And I think that was a huge, huge advantage for me as I made my way up. I mean, I edited, I shot video, I produced, I, I mean, I did everything at my first job except the weather. And I know people that have done everything, including the weather at their first job. And I think it gives you a deeper appreciation of the entire field. And, 
don't know. I think it gives you a more balanced skill set. So that's helped me. And the truth is, for me, I mean, listen, there are people that come right out of school and they're really good at this. I was not. I needed to go somewhere and be awful. And I was like, and you learn from it. And you have to accept the fact like you're not good at this right away. And you have to be willing to sit there. And if you're doing radio or doing a podcast, sit back and listen to every awful show that you did. And <laughs> what did you like about it? What you didn't? Uh, and take something from that. And I had to you know, sit there and painstakingly watch myself on TV, be terrible and decide, is there anything good I can take from this? Hopefully there is. And just little by little, carve away the things that were brutal and hopefully get better and move on. But uh, uh, so for me, getting out of your comfort zone, uh, getting out of, uh, you know, where you grew up, moving out on your own to someplace that uh, perhaps doesn't seem like the greatest fits. I think you got to embrace that. Well, you've really been hustling since you've been to UB. Uh, where where can we see you this winter? What's the docket look like this winter for Liam McHugh? All right, so I got, uh, you know, final regular season game this week on Sunday Night Football. We'll have two more playoff games this year on NBC, uh, so I'll do that. And then right into hockey a few days after that. So it'll be, you know, I'll be back on that Wednesday night hockey, uh, and I'll do hockey right through, you know, to the Stanley Cup final. And Well, we'll be uh, seeing you here. I mean, we're going to have to have a beer because I, I, I think a couple moves at the deadline, you might – you might be coming here for the Stanley Cup Finals. How great would that be? Oh. How, how great would that be? Uh, I, I honestly, uh, what a tremendous story! Uh, I think Tampa Bay and Toronto might have something to say about that. But you know, <laughs> yeah. hey, listen, uh, it, it, Toronto no, needed no, an American to win, so that's all I got <laughs> to say about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Who's your, who's your pick for the Super Bowl, Liam? I'm gonna put you on the oh, spot. Oh wow, man! If you asked me a month ago, I'd have uh, I. I I'd have a totally different answer at this point. Uh, I think I still like the Saints to win it. Um, um, it'd be such yeah. a story. Yeah. yeah, I think I still like the Saints at this point. Uh, you know, a month ago, I probably would have said the Chiefs, but uh, I'll go New Orleans. Yeah, and uh, but, Drew Brees, he almost he, he didn't get a he didn't get cleared by Miami Dolphins to play yeah. on that team, and we love that <laughs> up here. Well, we're at well, almost a halfway point. Uh, who do you who do you like in the NHL? Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult uh, to go away from chalk right here and, and go away from Tampa. Um, I, I think it's their year, but I've been saying that for a long time. I mean, you go back to the Stanley Cup final against Chicago. You know, the idea of that's the final was like this is the team of now against the team of the future, and it felt like after that the Lightning would be, you know, just. It would, it would be Titletown, um, the way that they were built. And I believe that this is it. I mean, they're taking that next step. Stamkos is on fire right now. Uh, but, you know, it's you got to be playing as well in April. And uh, as you guys know, especially in hockey, I mean, like injuries happen. By the end of it, by the end of the playoff run, you're not the same team you were at the start of the playoff run. So, uh Tampa looks really good, and I said at the beginning of the season, certainly the end of last year, that uh, to me Winnipeg's a really dangerous team, and I wholeheartedly believe that. But uh, I don't know, man. I- I'm I'm pumped because right now, what would we have? We'd have a Toronto Buffalo first round. Yep. <laughs> oh my God, how great! You want to talk be. about a war? <laughs> oh, I I just I want that to happen so badly. 
I yeah. really do. I just want to watch that. I'll eat poutine and chicken wings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You'll make the sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. Well, we appreciate uh, you joining us, Liam. Thank you. Um, what a great career. And keep up the good work. And tell Milbury to keep his head on a swivel <laughs> if he's up in Buffalo. <laughs> um, you got it, guys. But uh, thank you. And you are now licensed to talk, Liam McHugh. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Liam. License to Talk. Follow us on Twitter at JC is L2T, Instagram, License to Talk, and subscribe on YouTube at License to Talk.